Matthew 13, verses 45 to 46 reads, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Hello, and welcome back to Think This Way, the podcast of Faith Bible Church. I'm one of the pastor elders here, Bryce Beal. We have been talking this whole quarter about discipleship in the sense of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, the commitment he requires of anyone who would follow him. This caps off our first year of focuses in a three-year rotation, which this is sort of the foundational year. We talked about the Bible, about God himself, about the gospel, and now what it means to be a disciple, which will lead us into next year, which will have more of a focus on now practically how we grow, the Holy Spirit, prayer, personal holiness, the local church, and then finally into outreach, which is all the way, what, in 2025, but we're just trying to think ahead here. But anyways, as we get to the end of this quarterly focus on discipleship, I wanted to return to something that I brought up early in this quarter on a podcast, and I've actually brought this up several times, but I wanted to give a whole episode to this, and it's a concept that was expressed most clearly and memorably by the German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This concept is costly grace as opposed to cheap grace. Bonhoeffer, just as a reminder, you probably already know, but Bonhoeffer was a German pastor and theologian. We would not agree with all of his theology, but uh, he had come to the United States, done some studying, returned to Germany, and then World War II broke out. He ended up fleeing to England, but he, it didn't sit well with his conscience. He wanted to be back in Germany with his people, and so he returned to Germany during the war and eventually became part of a plot to assassinate Hitler that was unsuccessful, and Bonhoeffer was put in prison, and he was executed uh, April the 9th, 1945, which was just before the end of the conflict, which is a sad thing, but it was, in a sense, a martyr's death. It was him counting the cost of what it meant to follow Christ, and he died. But he had written several books and was a sort of spokesperson to the German church at that time, sort of the underground Protestant church, if you will. And one of the books that he wrote is called The Cost of Discipleship, and that is the book for which he is best known. Some of you have read it. I want to quote this concept of cheap and costly grace, which comes from that 1937 book that he wrote. Here is the quote. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything, they say, and so everything can remain as it was before. So there is his concept of cheap grace. We're not saying that grace in itself is cheap. This is a little bit like what we find in the book of James, where James says, can faith justify you by itself? And clearly when he uses the word faith, he's referring to a false faith, a pretended faith. And that's what's happening here. Bonhoeffer, when he says cheap grace, is referring to a grace that's not really a grace. It's pretended. It's fake. The reason he's expressing it this way, if you want to know the context, was because he was in Germany where there was a state church. It was Lutheranism, uh, dating all the way back to Martin Luther, of course. But this Lutheranism had become 
the state church. And anytime you have a blending of uh, politics, church and state, in that close of a blending together, where you have a state church, the spiritual life of the church almost always, or I could probably say always, gets watered down to the lowest common denominator. So you end up having many, many people in Germany who would say that they're believers, but Bonhoeffer saying they subscribe to a cheap grace. The justification of their sin, they say we believe by faith alone, we're justified, we trust in Jesus, all my sin is forgiven, but the sinner's not justified, meaning the person has not experienced true conversion. So it's just a cheap grace, a way of kind of covering over sins. On the other hand, Bonhoeffer talked about costly grace. Here's how he described it. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It's costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, It is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. The point that Bonhoeffer is making is that when we pretend that people are Christians, when they've not truly trusted in Jesus and experienced conversion, when people say, I'm a Christian just so they feel like they're escaping from hell, it waters down what grace really is. Really, the call of Jesus Christ to follow him, when someone really believes in him, it costs everything. It's costly. There's a richness, a deepness, a thoroughness to it. It's not simply a cultural thing added on to a life already full with other things. Just adding Jesus on to what we're already doing, the aims and goals and ambitions we already have. Real grace is a costly grace, not only because it costs God, his son, but it costs us to follow Jesus. Like we saw, if we don't renounce everything, we can't follow him. I remember my first experience of someone who held to cheap grace in a modern sense. When I was sitting at a coffee shop with a friend of mine, and we were talking about First John, the letter we just preached through. And as we were discussing it, all of a sudden I hear someone talking nearby, and I look around and there's this uh, gentleman sitting in the corner, not too far from us, I'd never seen him before, and he's having a conversation toward us, <laughs> disagreeing with my interpretation of First John to my friend. So, Once I got my bearings, started talking with this man, and it turns out he had gone to Dallas Theological Seminary um, several decades ago when something called Free Grace was popular there, and it was a way of thinking that was promulgated by several prominent professors at Dallas Theological Seminary that basically was this idea of cheap grace. The idea was if you believe... You say you believe and you give intellectual consent to Jesus and what he has done, then even if there is no change in your life, even if it costs you nothing at all, even if your life afterward looks exactly like what it looked like before, you can be absolutely certain you are going to heaven. You are simply a what they would call a carnal Christian, like the Corinthian church. You're a carnal Christian, but you're a Christian. You'll go to heaven. If you responded to an altar call, 
you'll go to heaven. It doesn't matter if there's a change in your life. Now, of course, the whole letter of 1 John is written against such a notion, giving evidences that someone has experienced new birth. And I was blown away by how this man, he's very bright, how he managed to take that entire letter and reinterpret every single part of it. It really actually blew my mind. It's been so long now, I forget his reinterpretation of it, but I think it was something like he wasn't distinguishing between true believers and unbelievers, but only between spiritual believers and carnal believers, which is such a bizarre thought, how you could not be born of God and be a believer. It's just an unusual thing. But it was this same concept of... I ended up becoming his friend and visiting and talking with him quite a lot. But that was something he held to, was this free grace notion. Bonhoeffer rejects that, and we reject that also. That's not Jesus' teaching. Jesus' teaching is a costly grace. And that's what we hold to. It's grace. It's free. We're not working for our salvation. But there's a richness and a depth to it that requires our entire life, and we won't cheapen that. Now, just briefly, a few concerns someone might have when thinking about this concept. Number one, aren't we on the verge of legalism here? Are we teaching that with costly grace, you can't have grace unless it costs you, you pay for it. But if you pay for the grace, that's an oxymoron because grace is free. That's the logic of free grace or cheap grace. The logic is we have to preserve the freeness of the gospel so it can't require anything of you, even repentance, even a change of nature. It can't require anything of you as long as you just assent within yourself. That's it. Well, I think that that is entirely resolved when we simply realize the nature of conversion, that if someone does simply assent within themselves on a heart level to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if someone really believes in Jesus, there will be changes that follow. So when we talk about a costly grace, we're not legalists saying you need to really live out the Christian life or you can't become a Christian. No, we're saying if you don't really live out the Christian life, it's evidence that you're not a Christian. That's very different. That's very different. So not legalism. How can we make a concept like this practical and not just some odd theoretical notion? I think it's Practical for us, number one, because it really helps us when we're sharing the gospel with others. When we're sharing the gospel with someone, um, we're just encouraging them to trust in Jesus. We're not encouraging them to turn their lives around, clean themselves up. It's costly grace, so you got to work really hard, feel really bad, do the right things, and that's how you know, then, then you can accept this grace. No, we're just encouraging people to receive the grace. It's free. Christ extends his hand, believe what he's done on the cross, it's for your sins, trust, and you are saved. But this concept helps us in evangelism just like it helped Dietrich Bonhoeffer because we're surrounded by a kind of cultural Christianity where many, many, really most people who would consider themselves Christians around us have not experienced conversion. They have not been born again. That doesn't make us walk around all suspicious of everybody. We give a charitable judgment to people. But when there's no evidence at all of a change in nature in someone, then we say this person hasn't been born again. And that's a help to us because it shows us the evangelistic task is not done just because we have coworkers who say, oh, we're Christians. That could mean they're converted and experience costly grace and it characterizes their whole life or maybe not. Maybe they're holding to a cheap grace. 
they responded to an altar call or just consider themselves Christians in a cultural way, and that means we have a lot of work to do in, by God's grace, helping them see their sin and see that grace is a costly grace and requires everything of us. As we conclude here, maybe thinking, how can I put flesh and bones on this for myself, not just looking out at others? Really, for any of us, we always need to be reminded that grace is costly grace. That is, that it required a sacrifice of Jesus Christ to make this grace available to us, and that while our sacrifices do not earn grace at all, if we are participants in the grace of God, then we will make sacrifices. Grace will not be something that's come into our life and has very little impact on us, and it's something we ought to strive toward, just looking at our lives honestly and saying, where are areas of my life where I know in my conscience that this needs to change for the glory of Christ, but I'm hesitant even to think of it because I don't want it to change, or I'm scared what might happen, or this is just the sort of person that I am. But if grace is a costly grace, if Jesus calls us to leave our nets and follow him, then we have to be willing to look at ourselves honestly and not cheapen grace, not say, well, the grace of God covers it. I know it's wrong, but it's okay. It's not okay. Let's continue putting that off and remember it's all of grace and for the sake of grace. It's possible that listening to this right now, you may have thought of grace as a cheap grace. As long as you've said a prayer and kind of in your heart agree with the doctrines taught by Christianity, then certainly you must be a Christian. Or it may be that, on the other hand, you are a true believer and you've experienced conversion, but you've gotten lethargic and Christianity has become very non-sacrificial for you. Whatever it is that you've thought in the past, may God help us all now to think this way. Mm-hmm.